Hey, Dawn, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Cherry. How are you? I'm great. Great. So I know that you always think that the husband is the one who did it. So this is why I chose this case for you. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. It's a good, well, I mean, relatively speaking. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I chose the case involving Scott Peterson. So uh, when it comes to Scott Peterson, most people tend to believe that he's guilty. Um, they're, they're either one way or the other. They either believe yeah. he's guilty or they are 100%, you know, no, he's innocent. There's no way he could have done it. He was set up. But there doesn't seem to be many people who are undecided. So what's your opinion? I have always felt he was guilty. Um, I never thought otherwise. I know that there's been documentaries and evidence that people have presented that make it seem like maybe he didn't do it. But I feel like 95% of it points to him. I will never understand why he didn't have a boat until the day before she disappeared. That makes Mm -hmm. no sense to me. Nobody knew that he hadn't gotten a boat. Why would you go on your boat on Christmas like none of that added up. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I do think that he is guilty, but I know that you said you had heard some things that maybe made you change your mind a little bit. Yes. Yes. I thought he was guilty since day one. That was until I began to do this research during this episode. I was actually, you know, going to do the episode based on Lacey and baby Connor So I kind of changed directions once I got into this and I was like, okay, well, you know, half of America believes he's innocent. Half of them believes he's guilty. So let's go with this Scott angle and see what I can come up with. So that's why I went down this, this, uh, avenue. So, uh, are you ready to dive in? Oh, for sure. Okay. All right. This is the case involving Scott Peterson. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Crime Explorer Shack with your host, Sherry Carroll, and my co-host, Dawn. I want to remind you that Crime Explorer Shack is created for mature audiences only. Our show often includes details of true crime cases that some may find disturbing and or offensive. As an extra heads up, Many of our episodes involve discussions of depression, psychosis, suicidal thoughts, rape, and murder of children. We do our best to hold these topics with intention and sincerity, and we try to deliver facts of the cases to bring awareness to our listeners. So I feel obligated to put this trigger warning out before the start of our episodes. We hope you'll join us whenever you feel ready and able. I also want to remind you that all of the accused in our episodes are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. So let's get started with Crime Explorer Shack. I'm not going to go into too much of the backstory because by now we all know what happened or at least what we've been led to believe by the media, of course. Um, So I will just give a little brief refresher and then go straight into the meat and potatoes of the story, so to speak. Scott Lee Peterson was born October 24th, 1972. He had a good childhood and eventually went to California Polytechnic where he met his soon-to-be wife, Lacey Denise Rocha, who was born May 4th, 1975. She made the move, the first move on Scott, by sending him her telephone number. And right after she met him, she was just smitten. She told her mom that she had met the man that she was going to marry. They dated for two years and moved in together and then married on August 9th, 1997. They were, you know, the all-American couple. They were beautiful. Um, He was handsome. And in all the photos that you see of Lacey, her bubbly personality just just shines through. Um, she has a big, beautiful smile, those big brown eyes. Um, she was just captivating. Sherry, um, I have to yes. tell you this really quick. 
So um, I'm a former hairstylist and I had a lady that just on a fluke was sitting in my chair. I'd never done her hair before. And she told me that her brother and his wife lived next door to Scott and Lacey. They shared (gasps) a fence. They shared a fence and she was pregnant at the same time Lacey was. So they would like stand at the fence and talk to each other, like swapping, you know, how are you feeling? And are you getting excited? And, and Lacey was just like beaming saying, you know, Scott was inside and they were getting ready to get the baby room ready. And, um, so the client of mine that was in my chair was in California visiting when Lacey went missing. And she said she remembers going and walking the streets looking for Lacey and um, putting all the posters up and stuff. So <gasps> that was very close to home. For, oh, yeah. wow. Because yes. her, her brother, the, my client's brother, that was the neighbor, she, he was a realtor and so was Lacey's mom. So her brother and Lacey's mom were friends. Not only did they share a fence with Lacey, but they were her dad or the neighbor was friends with Lacey's mom. Oh, so, wow. Very interesting. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you knew somebody that was close to the case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she oh, said the wow. whole town was just absolutely mortified when he was named as the guilty person. I I can believe it. I can believe it. Well, anyway. On, I didn't mean yeah, to interrupt. Yeah. I just wanted no, to tell no, you no. that. It's yeah. very, it's very interesting. And you know, um, on that fact, this is something that I didn't really document in my notes, but it was something that I ran across, and I don't know why I didn't put it in there. But now that you've said that, it, it makes me think back to it. Just triggered that memory of my something I ran across in my research. Um, you know, the news media during that time was, you know, saying this doesn't happen in Modesto. It's a, you know, quaint little community and everything. No, not really. It was not. Uh, Modesto had a high rate of crime. And we will come to find out that there was some crime that took place right across the street from Scott and Lacey. But also something that's probably going to be brought up in his next appeal is there were eight other pregnant women who disappeared in a it's either two or three year time period right there in Modesto. Oh my gosh. Why the same was time. that never brought up? Exactly. Exactly. D- during the t- same time. And one lady actually talked to um, the media And she said that um, like two days before Lacey disappeared, that somebody was trying to talk to her and um, get her to go with them, look in some, look in their vehicle or something. And she said, she feels like if she had done that, then Lacey might be alive. Wow. So yeah, it was, um, you know, she feels like, that she would have been the one that was missing and or dead, not Lacey. So, you know, but none of that was brought up because it didn't fit into their narrative, you know? So, yeah. yeah so, um, but on December 23rd, 2002, a seven and a half month pregnant Lacey and her husband, Scott went to Lacey's sister's salon. Her sister's name was Amy. Amy cut Scott's hair. Scott always got his hair cut once a month by Amy. Mm -hmm. Uh, They even invited Amy over for dinner that evening, but she already had plans. Later on that night, Lacey called her mom to confirm the holiday plans. So apart from Scott, Amy and Lacey's mother, Sharon, were the last two people to have known uh, of Lacey's, um, whereabouts whereabouts before she vanished or know that she was alive before she vanished according to abc news scott reported lacy missing from their modesto home on december the 24th however several other news sources including the new york post reported that when lacy had not returned home by 5 15 on the 24th Scott called Sharon, his mother-in-law, and that around 5.45 p.m., Lacey's stepfather, Ron Gransky, called the police. 
And, you know, Scott took a lot of scrutiny for not being the one to call 911 to report her missing. Right. And so, she hadn't, she hadn't been missing for that long. Right. By that and, time. Right. Right. Okay. Um, people questioned why he was not the one to make the initial call to report Lacey was at home or that something was wrong. And when police arrive to the Peterson home, they find that things are basically in order. It doesn't appear that there was a disturbance in the home. Lacey's keys, wallet, sunglasses, all were found in her purse, which was in her closet. The dining room table was set for a family dinner for the following night. One detective found a phone book on the kitchen counter and it was open to a full page ad for a defense lawyer. So I don't know exactly what that was about, (laughs) but the recipe for a breakfast casserole that Lacey was going to make was on the counter as well. And they said that Scott appeared to be calm. Yeah. And, you know, when something like that happens, if, if it had been nothing, then nobody would ever, you know, be speculating like why didn't he call the police right away like but she ended up missing and obviously dead so it's easy to sit back and say he should have done this he should but maybe he just called her mom is like do you think we should be concerned she's not here have you heard from her could have been like that I don't know exactly that's what you know that's what I was thinking he he didn't if I come home and I find that Butch is missing I'm not going to immediately hop on the phone with 911 and say, my husband's missing. I'm going to call his brother and say, hey, have you heard from uh, Butch? Uh, are y'all out playing golf or right. with you? Yeah. You know, and yeah. Uh, then I'm going to call my son and see, you know, have you talked with your dad? When's the last time you heard from him? I may even call um, his, his coworker and say, hey, when was the last time you talked with him today? And and then I will go, okay, well, now I need to call 911. Right. <laughs> so. Well, it's kind of just an understood that they say that the person has to be missing for like, what is it, 48 hours or at least 24 yes. before the police will even take it seriously because they just say, well, they're a grown adult. They can run off if they want to. Right, right. And so, you know, they, you know, they the police say that Scott was calm. Scott told the police that he last saw Lacey that morning about 9.30 when he left to go fishing at the Berkeley Marina. He said that um, she was watching some cooking show that had Martha Stewart on it and they were actually discussing making meringue. I mean, so he was specific about that. And that's key because you'll find out, you know, later in the, when it goes to trial, it's, it's hysterical. The prosecutor says there was no such cooking show and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? The defense was on their game and the defense plays that clip with Martha Stewart talking about Moraine mm-hmm. that was played that morning. So, you know, the prosecution didn't have their ducks in a row. Yeah, so, that could have just he, been on in the background now. Exactly, exactly. You know, like, you could have just remembered. See, I mean, I don't know. I I think it's him. So I just, it's hard for me to see the opposite side. But, you know, because he could have just been like, oh, I can just pick whatever Martha Stewart's talking about and say that that's what we were talking about. Exactly. So, yeah, he said that the cooking show had Martha Stewart on it uh, and they, that she was discussing making meringue. As he heads out, Lacey's mopping the floor and had said that she was going to walk the dog and then go shopping for the items that she needs to make the breakfast casserole for the family brunch uh, the next day. Now, Karen Service, a neighbor of Scott and Lacey's, stated that around 10.30 a.m., she found the Peterson's golden retriever um, named Mackenzie alone outside of the home wandering around with its leash still attached to the collar and the leash was all muddy so karen Hmm. the neighbor put the dog in the peterson's fenced in yard and looked but didn't see that anything was out of place scott said that he returned home that afternoon and found the house was empty but Lacey's vehicle was still there he assumed that Lacey was with her mom he showered, washed his clothes because he got wet fishing, you know, and the Modesto police detectives 
John Bueller and Alan Boschini, Boschini were the lead investigators on the case. They questioned Scott that evening. And although Scott initially said he had spent the day golfing, he later told the police that he'd gone fishing for sturgeon at the Berkeley Marina. Sketchy. Yeah, exactly. So at 2.15, he left a message for Lacey stating, hey, beautiful, it's 2.15, I'm leaving Berkeley. So let's see if I can get that to pull up. This is the phone call that's, you know, everybody refers to as the hey, beautiful phone call. <laughs> Hey, beautiful. I just left a message at home. Uh, 2.15, I live in Berkeley. I won't be able to get to the Villa Farms to get that basket for Papa. I was hoping you would get this message and uh, go on out there. I'll see you in a bit. We love you. Bye. And this message. So a lot of people are like, oh, that was so scripted. That was so fake. Yeah. Um. You know, his family and even her family said that was just Scott. You know, that's just how Scott was. Because, you know, her family stood by him. Scott stated that he went fishing about 90 miles from the couple's Modesto home. Detectives immediately launched a search, but were surprised by Scott Peterson's behavior. Bueller told ABC News in 2017, quote, I suspected Scott when I first met him. It didn't mean he didn't that it didn't mean he did it, but I was a little bit thrown off by his calm, cool demeanor and his late, uh, his lack of questioning. He wasn't like, will you call me back? Can I have one of your cards? What are you guys doing now? End quote. Broschini says Scott seemed more concerned with them parking too close to or dinging his vehicles with their vehicle doors or with them using coasters for their drinks. Oh, geez. You'd think you'd be a frantic mess. And she was seven and a half months pregnant when this happened? Yes, yes. And he's asking her to run all the errands. What a jerk. (laughs) I'm I'm busy. I just got done fishing. Can you run all the errands that I told you I would run? Jerk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, while he went fishing. And and I'm not saying that he was husband of the year i am definitely i think he was you know a prime scum bucket you know <laughs> he right. was, well yeah, yeah all of his actions after the fact and i'm sure you're getting there but it's just like that's what made him seem so guilty he just did so many things afterwards like at her wake and you know just stuff that just was like what is the matter with you you obviously do not care about this woman well, that's what makes me think he is either the most dumb, <laughs> dumb, he's dumb. the most dumb man in the world, or he's the most unlucky man in the world. I mean, it, it both got to be one or the other. So, yeah. But, you know, the, the cops were just like, this is not right. The, this is, he's not acting right. everybody. I am Dawn, the host of Donversations, and it's a variety show. It's a show about everything and nothing and everything in between. I have talked to astrologists and psychics, marriage counselors, country music artists, uh, an actress from Stranger Things, a death doula, stand-up comedian, like you name it. We talk about it and it's just a fun, lighthearted show. Um, in most cases, we cover some deep stuff sometimes, but it's just a fun show and I would love for you to come listen. It's really meant for entertainment only like you're eavesdropping on somebody sitting at a restaurant next to you. And, uh, yeah, I'm just having a blast with it. So hopefully you will come listen. And if you have any desire to reach out or be on my show, you can find me at Donversations at gmail.com or on all the social media links under Donversations podcast. So yeah, hope to hear from you. Thanks guys.
But now here's where I can see, this is where I begin to see both sides. Because like I told you in the last episode, when I was talking about David Swift in our uh, last episode, mm-hmm. I try not to judge someone's guilt or innocence based on their grieving process or how they handle stress because everyone is different. Yes. But I can see where veteran law enforcement officers would have their curiosity piqued by his behavior at this point. Yeah, and he wasn't trying to find her. No, no. And now that is why he got, Lacey's stepdad to call 911. He took Mackenzie and he was walking the neighborhood. So uh, he was doing that, but that was not put out by the media. He wouldn't be afraid to walk the neighborhood if he knew where she was. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He knew where she was. Well, maybe, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I can understand them having, you know, having their interests piqued because of his behavior or lack of emotions at this point, but because that's what they're trained for. But my argument is this, do we truly know how someone is supposed to behave when their spouse or loved one is missing or when they've committed murder? Murders and disappearances are not that common. And so, like, if we go and talk to a couple that has been married for 20 to 40 years and we ask them how many times their spouse has gone missing, you know, I I venture to say that like 98% of them are going to say, oh, this never happened. Yeah, I just feel like why isn't he more concerned about maybe his future child? You know, and maybe maybe those two were on the outs and he wasn't really concerned about where she was. But wouldn't he be concerned that he has a future son or daughter that is also missing? And he would be mourning that, I would think. I mean, they were just months from having a new baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think all of his actions after not the grieving part, but not looking for her um, with the groups of people that were looking and holding information from the police. Like, why did it go from golfing to fishing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. have a boat and all of it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's fair to say that we don't really have a lot of, observations of these extreme situations on which we can make a fair Mm -hmm. unbiased judgment against it. There's no baseline for normal or, or the correct way to even act in a situation like this. It's all speculative and there hasn't been any scientific research done. So we really don't have an established threshold on which to measure what's acceptable behavior or normal in a situation like this. I would agree with that if there wasn't a mistress involved and he wasn't acting to the mistress that everything was just normal and fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when asked about his whereabouts for the day, Scott says that he had first planned on going golfing, but it was really too cold. So he ended up going fishing so that he could take his new boat out and see that that right there is my one caveat is like okay you're saying it's too cold to go golfing which is on land and you're going out on the water right yeah it's so (laughs) warm out there (laughs) so that was my that's my one hang up you know he has a nine minute drive to his warehouse that houses his boat And it also has a mini office in there. Mm -hmm. So police go back and they check his phone records. And yes, while he's driving, he checks his voicemail at 10.08 a.m. The voicemail is from his boss. And then he gets on his computer once he's at the warehouse. And records do show he was active online from 10.30 to 10.56 a.m. He replies to his boss's emails. And then he looks at instructions on how to assemble a woodworking tool that he had purchased earlier. And this is where there's about 20 minutes of time that's unaccounted for. But it can legitimately be argued that that's when he's assembling this woodworking tool. Because it was was found assembled later when police um, searched the warehouse. Okay. But if you're wanting to take a sinister look at him... The prosecution argued that he was wrapping up the bodies or attaching weights. 
so it's all a matter of perspective. Yeah, because weren't the weights that were in the boat man-made? Yes, he had cement at the house. See, come on. Yeah, but, you know, there again, that's where Nancy Grace was like, oh, all these empty bags of cement in his garage. He's used that. Well, somebody took Nancy Grace out there on the property and showed where they were doing some home improvements and pouring more cement around the back deck. And they showed her that's where it was used. Okay. And she goes, huh, and turns around and walks off. <laughs> but she never retracted anything she said. Yeah. So. My goodness. How yeah, many times has it been retried? Two or three? Um, he's only... He has not been retried. Is that what you asked? Yeah, his his sister-in-law is some type of uh Yes, yeah, his sister-in-law, Janie, is, you know, like his biggest advocate. Right. Um, they did go back and say there was juror misconduct. Um, so his death sentence okay. is overturned. Okay. But they are going to still appeal the life sentence. So she's trying to put together who the real suspect is because mm -hmm. everything he was convicted on is still circumstantial because there's nothing to put him there. There's no crime scene. There's no, you know, murder weapon. Uh, there's no, you know, time of when it took place. Right. And I could so, see where the police would maybe want to withhold that information about eight other pregnant people showing up missing or whatever, just so that they could stick with Scott Peterson. I could see that happening because you hear about that kind of stuff all the time where the mm -hmm. police kind of jimmy it a little bit. To exactly. They, they get focused on one person and then other things come up and they're like, well, we don't want to admit we made a mistake. Right. It, you it, know? The mistress and all the, the stuff that happened after he oh, wanted not, to be with that mistress, you know that. Well, and you're going to find out a little bit more about this too, because it's not exactly the way it was portrayed in the media. Oh, I was floored when I came up on that part of the story. So okay, I did some research and went down that rabbit hole too. <laughs> so, so he leaves and goes to the marina. His ticket for entry into the marina is at 12.54 p.m. From 12.55 to 2.11 p.m., he's out fishing. Now, there are actually people who saw him get in his boat, back up his boat, and launch it. Everyone's theory is that he dumped Lacey and baby Connor in the Berkeley marina. But no one saw him loading a body into the boat. Okay, and let's state for the record that this is not a yacht or a large boat. This is a little 14-foot fishing boat. So if you got to load a dead body in there, you're liable to tip over or somebody's going to see it. Mm -hmm. There's no place to hide a body underneath or below deck because there's no below deck. Sure. So between 2.15 and 3.25, he gets his boat docked. And this is where we have that infamous voicemail that I just played mm -hmm. <clears throat> from the phone call to Lacey letting her know that he was heading back home. Well, some say it's scripted and planned, but remember Lacey's family stood by Scott in the beginning and said, that this was just Scott. This is how he was. And again, he's heading home at that point. He stops to fill up his vehicle with gas. He tries to call Lacey again. N nobody reported that. But his phone records show that he tried to call her again. Hmm. So he gets back to the warehouse at 4.13 p.m., unloads, and then he gets back to their home between 4.30 and 4.45. And this is when he notices that there's no Lacey. He notices that her Land Rover is there. He said the door was unlocked, but he wasn't immediately concerned. He assumed that she just went with her mother to do some last minute running around for the Christmas festivities. So he went to wash his clothes that got wet fishing and he hopped into the shower. He gets out. He notices that Mackenzie, their golden retriever is in the yard with the leash still attached. So he gets her. Then he plays the messages on the answer machine. Cause remember this is 2002 right, answer right. machines were still a thing. Yes. <laughs> And he hears his own message and he realizes that Lacey never heard his message. 
There's also a message from Lacey's stepdad asking them to bring some whipped cream when they come over this evening because they needed whipped cream for the pies. That's when he becomes concerned and he calls her mom and stepdad. He starts asking if Lacey's with them. He tells them she's not home and it starts sending off alarm bells and Lacey's stepdad says he would call 911 while Scott goes through the neighborhood with Mackenzie and starts searching for Lacey. But all of this angle isn't exactly portrayed to us in the media because it just doesn't make Scott look sinister. Right. You know? Yeah. The police took him in to interview him. And there's a recorded interview from 12 a.m. to 1 a.m. And Scott's explaining his details of the day. He's asked if there were any problems in their marriage. He says no, that they have a good marriage and they have a baby on the way. He says that he loves Lacey and he didn't have anything to do with her disappearance. Now, this case set the 24-hour news channels ablaze. It lifted Nancy Grace to notoriety. She was absolutely, oh, she absolutely hated Scott Peterson. She even said she thought he was guilty from the beginning because he just, quote, rubbed her the wrong way. Oh, my God. That sounds like her. But, you know, of course, yes, you know, I always think it's the husband. But at the same time, it's like she was adorable and she looked so happy, pregnant. And you just were, you know, just so saddened that she was dead. And exactly. When he, that you, like you said, there's no perfect way to mourn or to be concerned, but when he was acting like he wasn't even concerned or looking or, you know, any footage that they showed, he was just kind of acting like, we'll see what happens kind of thing. And it was mm -hmm. just like, why isn't he leading the pack? Like somebody come help me find my wife. And I have to wonder what his family was like because you know in society a lot of men are taught not to cry don't show your emotions be the tough guy he comes across as that jock he was very competitive i mean he started off wanting to go to um it wasn't the california polytechnic school it was arkansas or arizona wherever phil mickelson the, the golfer okay. went to school yeah. yeah and that's where he went and started and his dad said that the competition was just you know it was too much and yeah so scott went back to california so i have to wonder if a lot of it is to do with maybe his upbringing and him being told you don't show emotion he cried, though, with like Diane Sawyer, I think was the interview, and he was crying a lot. And that's when it's like, OK, that he mm -hmm. does seem like he's mourning or remorseful or something's going on. Um, you know, mm -hmm. like I you can't say somebody cries wrong, but, mm -hmm. you know, he was at least showing some emotion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and you have to wonder if if by that time he's just I can't do anything right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't please everybody for sure. Right. And I'm I'm wondering if that was his mindset at that point in time is I can't do anything right. Everything I'm doing is under a microscope and being analyzed. I can't win. Right. So, right. And, and that's got to be a hell of a predicament to be in. Um, and especially if he didn't do it. And I'm not saying that you know, 100% that he right. didn't. I'm just, I'm now not so 100% convinced. Well, and Lacey knew about the affair, correct? That's what he said. Okay. Now, I do know that early on in their relationship before they got married, she found out that he had been unfaithful, but then they worked it out and got back together. So she knew that he was prone to infidelities. Okay. So... Yes, that is something that she was aware of. Now, like I said, this Nancy Grace absolutely hated him. She thought he was guilty because he rubbed her the wrong way. My whole issue with the news sources in this case is when it was pointed out that they had reported something incorrectly, they never retracted it. They just dropped it and moved on to the next scandalous tidbit that was thrown their way. Yeah. And Nancy, you know, like Nancy Grace harping on those empty cement bags at the Peterson home. 
And when it was shown to her that it was used for some home improvement, she just said, oh, and moved on. And the press, I feel like the press and the police wanted to make Scott the target from day one. It was Mm -hmm. just the easiest and most obvious. Right. Um, Yeah. Because there were just so many crazy fluky things that popped up and it's like really like you said he just must have had the worst luck on the planet (laughs) exactly or he was just absolutely just dumb yeah yeah we all know that amber fry comes into the picture a few days later and she agrees to help the police by recording her phone conversations with scott which makes me think that she's like you know the scorned woman pissed off because she found out she was being lied to and played and I can't blame her for you know feeling some kind of some kind of way right being lied to yeah. and played yeah um, she was so nervous just she like was shaking so bad I felt so bad for her I didn't know yeah. if she was scorned but I felt bad for her because she seemed like a wreck yes but she ended up you know getting Gloria all red and she felt you know power to the women <laughs> She didn't know that he was married and by all accounts from the media and even the police press conferences, you know, this was a full blown affair and it sounded like it had been a long impassioned love affair. Didn't he say that his wife had died? Didn't he say that he was a widow? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> Come on. That this would be his first Christmas without her. And that's why he was going to the Eiffel Tower for Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Yes. But, you know, the media tried to make it sound like it was some long, full-blown love affair. Yes. No. No. It wasn't. They had only been talking for five weeks. And he had just met her and slept with her the night of that infamous Christmas party photo, like the end of November. Okay. Now, mind you, there were many phone calls, but this was not some long, drawn-out love affair that was portrayed to us like it was in the media. This actually me. I thought they had been like in some kind of entanglement for six months or a year. Yeah. No, but no. And nowhere in any reporting did I find from the media where it said that they had only been talking for five months. I mean, five weeks. Five weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's interesting. Yes. And, and mind you, Scott doesn't do himself any favors by being the piece of shit that he isn't cheating on Lacey and even worse, lying to Amber while he should be focusing on finding his wife, but still. He's not on trial for being a pig. Yeah. A cheater doesn't necessarily a murder or make, you know? Yeah. So now this information I'm about to drop is what really began to change my perspective on the whole case. All right. I'm ready. All right. On December the 24th, the day that Lacey went missing, Diane Jackson, a neighbor of Lacey and Scott, says she saw three men outside a home across the street from Lacey and Scott's. Mm -hmm. The home belonged to the Medinas. It was burglarized the same day, December 24th at 630 a.m. At the time, law enforcement officials claim that this robbery, burglary, actually took place on December the 26th, not Christmas Eve. Jackson says that the police dismissed her sightings and claims that the robbers were there on Christmas Eve. Um, Or dismiss her claims that the robbers were there on Christmas Eve. Well, in contrast to what the police have stated, there is strong evidence against the assertion that the burglary took place two days after Lacey went missing. Ted Rollins, who was with KTVU, stated that he was right in front of the house at 5 a.m. on December 26th and said that there was absolutely no break-in that occurred at that time. His quote was, quote, the police said that the burglary took place on December 26th, not December 24th. The problem with that is I was standing outside of that house at 5 
in the morning on December 26th. And if the burglars were there, I would have interviewed them because there was nobody outside the front of that house, end quote. Were the Medinas, were the Medinas um, home? No, they were out of town. So that it was, they didn't even know that their home had gotten broken into? Mm -mm. Not till I think the 27th or 28th. Mm. They left the 23rd. Okay. Mm -hmm. That seems weird. It does. So Rollins continued by saying, my head was on swivel that morning and there was absolutely no way a burglar, a burglary took place on the 26th. Remember what I said about the 24-hour news media earlier? They were camped out right here at Scott and Lacey's house for three months, starting on Christmas Day. Yeah. There's no way, no way someone would have dare broken into a house with that many people swarming, and especially news cameras. Yeah, I had heard that there was a weird van or that there was a house that got broke into the day that she disappeared. I did hear that because they, mm -hmm. they interviewed the guys and the guys were like, yeah, we're idiots and petty thieves, but we're not murderers. Mm -hmm. Well, on an A&E documentary, Jackson gave her recollection of the events that transpired. She said, December 24th, I was on my way home. And when I went by Rudy and Susan Medina's house, I saw people on the lawn and a van. Right. Jackson said, I noticed it was because they were all turned around and looked at me. And I thought, hmm, that's weird. I didn't put it together until a neighbor said the Medinas just came home and their house was burglarized while they were gone. And they think it was on the 24th. After Jackson learned that the Medinas home was robbed, she immediately called the police. However, when she discussed the situation with authorities, Jackson says that the cops tried to tell her at one point she confused the men she saw in the yard with the people working in her own yard. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Jackson even said that she was hypnotized during the investigation in an apparent attempt to alter her story. Despite the shocking assertion, Jackson's story has never changed. Whoa. Yeah. And so Scott's sister-in-law, Janie Peterson, like I said, she's Scott's biggest advocate. She says that the justice system has failed him. Yeah. Having spent time poring over the facts and clues in the case, she says there are no series of events that concretely prove that Scott killed his wife. There is no crime scene, no physical evidence to leak Scott to the murder. It's all circumstantial. You know, they took the dogs out to the marina the, yeah. to sniff and yeah. see if they could pick. Okay, so some of them supposedly picked up, but you've got to think. Lacey went with Scott to the marina and they, the stuff that they used with Lacey's scent, her and Scott lived in the same house. Scott's scent could be on there too. Why, so the, why did she go with him to the marina? When did because they, they went fishing before. I thought he just got this boat. That was a new boat. No, I thought his family said he'd never had a boat. Mm -hmm. They have been fishing before. That he 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 had been at the marina before. Okay, she had been there before. Okay, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, yep. So she had been there before, but you know the stuff that they're using is also going to have his scent, and the dogs were not didn't even pass their certification. Oh jeez. Yeah, yeah. So you know, that's not very impressive for the prosecution. In my no, opinion. no, it's not. So. She believes that Lacey was killed due to the burglary. She believes that maybe Lacey was going on her walk and she saw these guys mm -hmm. and confronted them because that was Lacey's nature. Right. And it went wrong. And I could see that. Yeah. Being a very real possibility, you know? Yep. Yeah. I could uh, see that too. Gosh, it's just like, why weren't there more eyewitnesses? You know, if they were on this street didn't anybody else see anything or hear her yelling exactly so i uh, and i also want want you to take into account when these men were arrested for burglary 
the first thing that they said, the first thing out of their mouth to the police was, we didn't have anything to do with that pregnant woman. Oh, jeez. And mind you, this was before Lacey and Connor were even found. But if there were eight other pregnant women missing, couldn't it have been one of them? Could have been. Could have. I mean, their mm -hmm. odds, there's got to be some type of odds that they could have been mm -hmm. talking about if it was all in that same area. Could have been. Could have been. Does, did they ever find any of the other pregnant women? I believe so. Um, I believe so. I'm trying to do a little bit more digging on that. That was just something that I ran across. Yeah. That's and heard on, uh, heard on True Crime Podcast. So, yeah, there are some podcasters and people on the internet that delve into cases so much and find mm -hmm. out so much evidence. Exactly. Like, why, why can't the police find this stuff out? Well, I mean, the media tried to crucify Scott so bad that they were like, okay, he went to California Polytechnic. That's where Kristen Smart disappeared from. Uh, what if he's a serial killer? Oh, Let's wow. try to, you know, and they, and they didn't even retract any of that, but we know that there was a podcaster who he, he was only eight years old when Kristen smart disappeared mm -hmm. and he started doing a podcast devoted to that case. Wow. And he ended up the, the police actually said because of this podcaster, evidence was found and we have made our arrest wow that's amazing exactly and that's great exactly. it is it is well so the the prosecution tried to say that scott killed her during the night of the 23rd mm -hmm. or the early morning of the 24th but there's proof that lacy was alive and using her computer christmas eve morning she loved sunflowers so much so that she had a little tattoo of a sunflower on her ankle. Mm -hmm. And she was looking at an umbrella stand that was decorated with sunflowers for $20.99 the morning of Christmas Eve. So I highly doubt that Scott Peterson was looking at a sunflower umbrella stand right. on their computer that morning. And also at least 14 people in the neighborhood saw Lacey and Mackenzie, the dog, walking the neighborhood that morning. Yeah. But the part that frustrates me with all of that is none of these people were called to testify in Scott's case. But they saw her and they saw her with the dog. And then all of a sudden nobody sees her and they don't hear her yelling. And then they don't see the dog that just is just running around by itself right well karen saw the dog running by itself but i don't know you know three men could possibly overtake her and cover her to where there's sure. muffled, yeah. muffled screams right and she was very pregnant so i'm and sure. very pregnant yeah mm -hmm. huh so and nobody none of these 14 people were called to testify because his attorneys say that it would possibly be easy to trip up their times and make it look very sporadic and it might have done more damage than good. That was his first attorneys. Now he's got some different attorneys who are going to use some of these people. And these people are like, no, we know she was alive. If she was alive during that time and Scott was out fishing, he comes home. There's no way he could have taken her body back because he would have had to have bought another ticket and there was no transactions for another ticket to dump her in the marina. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have time to go another 90 miles to take her back. Where, where was she? How did he do it in that time frame? Yeah. So that's my, the time, the math ain't mathin'. <laughs> right, right. The math ain't mathin'. So, well, baby Connor was found April the 13th near where Scott was supposed to have been fishing back on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. So the police start looking. Lacey was found April the 14th and she had been dismembered. April the 18th is when Scott allegedly was trying to flee the country. He's arrested 
in a red Mercedes, donning blonde hair and has $15,000 cash, ca- camping gear, four cell phones, and his brother's ID. Mm-hmm. The, media, the media continues to crucify Scott, saying he's fleeing now that the bodies are located. But there's always two sides to every story. And his family has a completely different story. They say that on this day, which was Good Friday, mm-hmm. Scott was going to play golf with his family. He had his brother's ID because he could get a discount since he was a member there. So that makes sense. That's legitimate. Sure. sure. Okay. The $15,000 was a repayment from his mother for a loan he had given her and he had not made it to the bank. Oh my gosh. Plus it was good Friday and the police looked and the transactions I'll verify. He did give her a loan. She had withdrawn $15,000 that day before and gave him the $15,000 cash to redeposit. It and was the Friday. cell phones. Why the extra cell phone? Yeah, I don't know about the extra cell phones. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, unless, and they were not active. I do know that. So it might have just been some old electronics. Okay. Or I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So bad luck again. Yeah. Yep. Bad luck. Uh, mm. The camping gear, it's just something that was in it, he had had. And they were just trying to, you know, live a normal life. Him and his brother, you know, he'd been stressful. He even, there was a, they were monitoring his cell phone, you know, Mm -hmm. they were recording his cell phone. He even made a call to his brother. The police were following him just before they arrested him. And he thought it was the media. And he said, look, I think the media is following me again. And I really don't need to go play golf. And his brother's like, oh man, Scott, I hate this. And um, he's like, yeah, man, I, I, you know, I really don't need to, and I don't want to draw attention to, to y'all, but he ends up going on to the golf course and that's where they arrest him in the parking lot. So the blonde hair, he had already lightened it weeks ago to try to keep from being so recognizable in public and have a little bit of peace. The cops even interviewed him while he had blonde hair two weeks before. He had grown so, facial hair or something too, didn't he? I thought he had tried to yes. alter his appearance. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, and let's talk about the red Mercedes. Yeah. Now, are you going to go running in a red Mercedes? <laughs> I don't know. Are you going to be having uh, camping equipment in a red Mercedes? Like, <laughs> I don't get any of this. <laughs> Crazy. So, So now my argument for Scott not getting a fair trial. One of the things, uh, one of the biggest things is allegations of jury misconduct. Mm -hmm. Rochelle Nice and six other jurors co-authored a book called We the Jury, Deciding the Scott Peterson Case. Okay. Okay. She has admitted she did not disclose on the Peterson jury questionnaire that she obtained a restraining order in 2001 against her then boyfriend and woman he had been involved with. This is huge because it shows that she could hold prejudice against men. Mm -hmm. Her misconduct falsifying her questionnaire allowed for the overturning of the death penalty sentencing of Scott. So now he's just serving a life sentence. Okay. She was active like in the press or something too, wasn't she? Didn't she like trying? I'm thinking that was the same case. Uh, Rochelle Nice. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, she was the one they called strawberry shortcake because she had the really, really red hair. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. She was trying to make money. And I mean, she got so, she, she just got crucified in the media after this. They were like, you know, because <laughs> of you, you're letting a murderer go free. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she walked out of court and she's like, um, you know, now you're going to go to death and just made all kind of slanderous remarks towards Scott Peterson. I'm like, if I was a juror, I would just walk out and be quiet because yeah, uh, you've just sent somebody a, a life for a life. Right. I, I don't know how I would feel about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard with those high profile cases. I don't know how they get anybody that isn't privy to all the information, you know, especially with the press being as 
all over it as mm-hmm. they were. Exactly. Well, that that comes into play because another fact was this case was the death penalty case. And during jury selection, 50% of the potential jury pool was immediately dismissed because they felt he was guilty. I mean, everybody knew about this case. Yeah, yeah. Um, They also dismissed anyone who opposed the death penalty. But what the judge was supposed to be asking the jurors is if they could apply the death penalty even if they were opposed to it because it was the law in this case, but he didn't do that. And him not doing that, him failing to do that made this a specific type of jury. And it was a very harsh jury because they were, you know, pro death. Right. And jurors admitted later when they found out what case they were assigned to, they went home, they researched the case and for such a large, important, high-profile case, I can't understand why this jury was not sequestered. I didn't realize that a juror could ever write a book about a case like that. I I thought there had to be like a time frame, but, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand why they weren't sequestered because the jury in the O.J. Simpson trial was sequestered for eight nine months mm-hmm. so they couldn't read about it couldn't talk about it couldn't, right. uh, find out any press releases about it but it's crazy to me that this jury could just go home every day and see their family and discuss this with their family and see the news reports and hear the uh, biases yeah you know because we're only hearing what the media is allowing us to hear yeah wow so now Scott's still building his appeal case. He can never be sentenced to death again. His sister-in-law, Janie, and his family are still searching for real answers to point to the real killers. And like I said in the beginning, people are usually 100% he did it or like, no way. Mm -hmm. He was set up or, you know, there's rarely any in between. And I was one of those, he did it people, but now I'm not so sure. Yeah, I guess if I was on Scott's side, I would do whatever I could to try and find that it was those robbers or, you know, try and find all the evidence against it being anybody else than him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm. it's, it's, I just have a, I have a bad taste in my mouth for the things that he did. Right. You know, the the affair. He was a, he was a piece of crap husband. Your wife is carrying your child, your son, your namesake. Mm -hmm. And you are, you know, out canoodling with this California blonde. Canoodling. And, and then, her family, your wife's family is holding a candlelight vigil and you're off, you know, behind the podium or behind a tree on the phone talking with your mistress. Yeah. You know, I have, I have a bad problem with that. But like I said, I think that some people don't deal with stress very well and they find ways to project. And I think that this was, she was a distraction. She was new. We all know how new relationships are. She was like, like I said, they had only been talking for five weeks. And the first week or so, there was like, I think, seven to ten calls where she didn't answer. Mm-hmm. So it yeah. was like the pursuit. Right. Yeah. He seemed like he was pretty crazy about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You've, you've planted some seeds there, you know, where I can have a little bit of doubt. And I don't think that the investigation probably was as uh, honest as it should have been. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I it's, if I'm wrong, I would be happy about that. I'd feel bad that he had to spend all that time in jail, but it's mm-hmm. just where, where is the real person then? If, That's what I want to know. I want to know why they tried to get the neighbor to change her dates on when she saw the burglars. Right. And why wasn't that more uh, of a focus? And uh, why aren't we hearing more about these pregnant women that have been 
uh, abducted and murdered. Yeah. Is there a, 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 you know, a baby ring going on and, and don't portray Modesto to be some clean little quaint yeah. community whenever it's, you know, full of meth and crime. Yeah. Yeah. That's, how it all just seems like hearsay. That's the thing. It's like, you don't even know what the real facts are. If the police are telling the truth about some things and not others, or if they're being truthful and you're just hearing rumors from the neighborhood, it's just, there's so much speculation. It is. It, it's a lot. It's a lot of speculation. And I was, I was one of those cause my son was born in 2001. Mm -hmm. So this was, I was, sitting glued to the TV. I was like, how could anybody do this? Right. He's guilty. Look at him cheating on his wife, you know? Yeah. And, and I was for years, I have said, bury him under the jail. You know, yeah. why are we still feeding him? You know, <laughs> why are our tax dollars feeding him? No. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done with him. So yeah. but now I, now I have, I have some reasonable doubt and I, I have problems with convictions for death sentences. Mm -hmm. on circumstantial evidence yeah i could see that that makes sense you really should have a lot more uh, you know real proof before you commit somebody to death and someone i was discussing it with someone at work and this was another i don't know if i should bring this up I may edit this out but <laughs> <laughs> somebody brought this up um you know abortions they have, you know, late term abor abortions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Scott was charged with first capital murder of Lacey and also murder of an infant. Mm -hmm. Okay. But they're saying that Connor died because of uh, Lacey being killed. So how is he being charged with murder? when the baby wasn't actually born that's a tough one it is it is it, it, and so i had never really looked at it from that angle mm -hmm. so if they can do uh, abortions to late term and they don't call that murder how can they call that murder yeah i get what you're saying but yeah you should definitely edit that out <laughs> Still gets dropped in three episodes. <laughs> she talks about abortion. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but that was that was interesting to me. So uh, definitely. But anyway, so we don't know. You know, everybody still is going to have their opinions. But I just wanted to. Yeah. Have, once I got into it, I was like, let's look at it from this side because I was so pro. You know, he did it. Yeah, I was yep. pro. Me too. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to think so. about it a little bit. You had yeah. um, answers of things that I was not aware of. So um, <laughs> I'm glad for that. And like I said, I hope I'm wrong. I would feel bad yes. for him if he spent all this time in jail and he didn't do it. But I don't know. I just I just felt like he did. Mm -hmm. Well, you know that they said there were some rumors and I couldn't find anything that documented it, like any police reports, mm -hmm. but they said when they arrested him, that there was a map quest printout of where Amber Fry worked. There was in the camping gear, there was rope oh. and a shovel and um, sleeping pills, like a hundred sleeping pills. I think. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and so they were like, oh, he was going to kill Amber, but I can't find anything about that. Oh, my gosh. Well, I guess this might be a, a sequel, a part two, yeah. part three. So, so I'm just like, well, I heard that I heard that on a podcast. So I got to look in and I did find one like, like TMZ or something article about yeah. it. And I was like, well, you know, let's yeah. see if I can find a Never legitimate know. news source. Yeah, but so that is a rumor, but you know, I couldn't find anything with police documentation about that or any what I call high credible news sources, right? Very interesting, mm -hmm. though. Oh my god, yeah, I'm not, was he gonna was he gonna kill somebody else? You know, yeah, he's on a roll, <laughs> exactly. Well, good job finding all the evidence you did, you know, the stuff that hadn't been out there. I think you did uh, a lot of extensive work. So kudos. Yes. So at least 
we it gives us a different angle to think about because for sure you know, mm -hmm, yeah so anyway i appreciate all of y'all tuning in and give us a like a review and we will see y'all next thursday bye guys bye.